A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rule Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rilkins, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. All right, welcome. We're here at IMAX America. It's the second day. Across from me is Phil Mershon. Um, I've often seen you with a saxophone. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, have it with me today, though. Uh, you pretend to be a Swiss Army knife. Pretend? No, I am. You Swiss are. Swiss Army knife. You are. Yes. As someone coming from Switzerland, I'm really keen to figure out what does where, that mean? where the Swiss Army knife comes in best, right? And how it travels with you, because I always have trouble traveling with a Swiss Army knife, because mm. they keep taking it away from me. That's right? true. Um, <laughs> you're the director of experience, and you're an author. You recently published a book. The first question we're going to throw at you, Phil, is the question, now that we're here in this experiential environment together, right? What um, a good conversation can change the direction of change forever, right? Would you leave that to chance? Would you leave the conversation to chance? Yes. I think there's room for serendipity within conversations, but there's got to be intention. Um, you need to know what's important to you. You need to know what does the destination look like in your mind. Yes. I think conversation can lead you to change your view of what that destination looks like once yeah. you realize maybe that's not so possible. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Yeah. When I started writing my book, and I think you and I met around this time, yeah. I thought what I was trying to create was a guide on how to make time stand still. Yeah. Meaning that I think there are places in our lives where all the noise stops, all other parts of life slow down, mm -hmm. and you're able to enter into a space where you can make a significant life change. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to teach people to do that. Yeah. And after about two or three months of writing that book and talking to people, I realized, that's not possible. I'm not God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. So, and, and I realized that's not even what the owner, so I'm, you know, I'm the event designer within my company and the owner is our CEO. That's yeah. not what he wanted. Yeah. He wanted to create a space where people could come learn. He wants them to change for sure, but he wasn't looking to create this transformational epic moment. He said, if it happens, that's cool, but that's not my ultimate goal. Yeah. And I realized most owners probably feel the same way. Like when that happens, you celebrate it, but it can't be your only goal or else you're going to be failing almost all the time. <laughs> yeah, to totally. And uh, it's funny, the payoff of our company is actually uh, the design of time, right? Mm. So if we would stop time, would it stop what we do? Right? Mm. Yeah. You also make me wonder, and many of the listeners on our podcast are event designers that you know, are familiar with the mental model, the event canvas that they're using to design their events to frame Define the change or behavior change. Yeah. Frame the problem with all the restrictions you have around it, right? mm. whether it's time or whether it's you know, the commitment or the cost or the revenue. Um, and all of those elements are really kind of critical to make sure that at the end of the day, you can frame the narrative of what the event is supposed to do. Mm. Uh, just before you, I was talking to David Adler from BizBash. Yes. And what was funny is we were talking about an event that I recently participated in 
two weeks ago in Washington DC. As a performer, I'm an Alphorn player. Uh, and on the National Mall, we were at the World Culture Fest with 450,000 people and 18,000 artists. Mm. More artists than there are visitors to IMAX. Yeah. Gathered in one place for three days. And he said, that's the business we're in. We're in the goosebump chaser business. Yes. Right? How do the goosebumps get created? And what vibrations lead to the goosebumps? That's part of the question we have. And I think your excitement of stopping time, I'd love for that to be the case, right? I'm, I love time as a concept, but I see it stop if I stop moving my arm because it's an automatic watch. Right. And there's no batteries. It needs the kinetic movement of the human body to keep going. So, you know, I got the idea. I read the Bible. I'm trained as a pastor. And there's a mm -hmm. passage in there that talks about the people of Israel were fighting five armies at once. I mean, we're in a day right now where Israel's fighting Hamas. Unfortunately. But they had five armies they were fighting, and Joshua is leading, and he's like, I, I can't do this. I can't fight five different flanks. Um, so he cries out, can you do something? And time stops for a day, and they're able to handle it. And I thought, well, that's actually it. We can't stop time, but we can slow it down. We can time it out almost. Yeah, I've heard it called time stretching. Time stretching. So, and it's obviously we're not doing anything with the clock. Yeah. What we're doing is we're slowing the rest of life down so that you can consider the bigger things. Yeah. So to the point that you made about framing things up and like what is the ultimate decision or activity that's expected, we're trying to quiet all those other things down. Yeah. And that's one of the things I tried to do in the book is say, well, what are the main threats that prevent that from happening. There's yeah. so many things that prevent it. Yeah. If we can at least quiet those things, then we have a chance for that, those big conversations to take place. Yeah. Now, you've been involved and are always involved in large-scale events and, and you've organized them. You're the content curator. You are, you are for a long time, as, as long as I know, because I've, I've known you before, you know me, I think. Um, um, I see the work that you guys have done in this whole decade of social media and how it's evolved and where we are today with it. And if you're hearing noises in the background, it's because we're live at IMAX America at the Mandalay Convention Center here in the, this is the 17th, 18th of October it's today. It's 18th, yes. 18th of October. Let me ask you, when writing a book, because that, that, that is an epic adventure to write a book, right? Yes. Tell us a little bit about what it did to your time and how you claimed the time from yourself to go and write this book. Well, like I said, in 2017 is when I started working on it and I had a different vision. So the first two years of writing, it was meandering. It was kind of like I was in the wilderness trying to figure out what is this book. Yeah. I didn't have event design or experience design on my brain. Yeah. I just knew I wanted to write a book. Yeah. And I just started writing articles and posting them on LinkedIn and see what people were responding to. Yeah. And I frankly was listening to everyone else telling me what the book should be. Mm -hmm. And what people were telling me is, Phil, we need checklists. We need someone to give us the how-to manual. And I didn't know how to say it then, but that didn't resonate. But now I know I'm not a checklist guy. No. I'm, I'm a 30,000 foot. I'm a concept. I'm a strategist. I'm a creative. Um, I care about checklists and I know someone needs to manage them, but you probably don't want me managing the checklist because yeah. I'll skip over three and then remember later that I skipped over it. And so, um, so the first two years were that, were a meandering. And finally I got clear, I took a Michael Hyatt course in writing a book proposal. Okay. And that really gave me the clarity of what is this book. And then I went and got a publisher, mm -hmm. started working on it, and then the world shut down in 2020. 
when I was supposed to be finishing the book. Yeah. And so we all agreed, put it on pause. There's no reason to write this book right now. No one cares about live events. Um, it's the wrong time for this book. So I put it on pause and I started working on a book on gratitude, which mm -hmm. really helped carry me through the pandemic. Okay. Um, it's not published yet because I'm not sure who it's for. It's more of a religious book, and I don't have a religious audience per se. Um, I do, but it's not big enough to support a book. Yep. And so, and there's a lot of competition. And so, <laughs> um, and I felt like my audience that I knew I could sell with and through was, mm -hmm. was in the event space and the marketing space. Yep. And so, after about a year and a half of the pandemic, I reached out to my publisher, Morgan James, and said, okay, I'm ready. So here's, here's the short answer to that question that you asked. It took me a while to restart writing uh, because I'd, I'd laid off for a year and a half. So what I did is I started writing for seven minutes a day. Okay. My editor said, Phil, start really small, so small that you think it's crazy that I'm telling you to do this. Write for seven minutes and, and stop. Okay. Don't keep writing. Okay. Don't, it'll be tempting to keep writing, but stop at seven minutes. Mm -hmm. And after a couple of weeks, I increased it to 15 and eventually to 30. and after a while is 45 minutes to an hour, which is really all I could do because I have a full-time job. Yeah. And you've written a book and you know, probably you know that you don't make money off the book. <laughs> the book <laughs> helps you make money with other things. And so, so it took a good year mm -hmm. of writing and editing and proofing. And then finally the book came about and I you know, was able to figure out what is this book? Yeah. Like what, I had way too many ideas. I had hundreds of thousands of words and they don't let you publish that many. Um, I ended up with 60 some thousand and that's still on the high end of what they wanted to do, but it made sense. Yeah. Um, I needed that much space to make the points I was trying to make, so. Yeah. Now, you're a strategist at 30,000 foot, as you say, but you also carry the Swiss pocket army knife. Yes. How does that help you become tactical and operational? So what I mean by being a Swiss Army knife, because I'm not from Switzerland, although I have family from there way, way back, mm -hmm. um, is that I have a lot of blades available to me. Yeah. So author, speaker, ideator, musician, cultural strategist, and the list could go on. Mm -hmm. I've probably got eight to 10 different blades that I can pull out yeah. depending on what's needed. And I think, I've talked to a lot of event people I think to be successful in the event space, you've got to have a lot of tools in your toolkit, blades mm -hmm. in your knife, whatever mm -hmm. metaphor you want to use. I used that one because a career coach said, Phil, you're a Swiss Army knife 23 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that resonates. He said, you're the guy you want to take with you when you're going to go on a, a starting a business or on a camping trip because you can basically say, give the task to Phil and he'll figure out how to do it. Yeah. So, but here's the difference is, some people can do the same task over and over and over for years on end and never get bored. Mm -hmm. A Swiss Army knife, you're not going to use it as an electrician except when you've got something quick to fix. Case of emergency. Yeah. Case of emergency, you need to do it a few times, it's perfect. You it need to do it skin. repetitively. Uh -uh. And that's what I find happens to me is I'm great at the beginning. Like we started social media marketing world, I jumped in and did everything, but we're at a point now where you know, we've got experts doing a lot of different tasks that I used to do, yeah. and I've seen this happen in my career over and over, and so I have to reinvent myself and find out, well, what, what's no one doing mm -hmm. that I can do that nobody else can do? And that's why I went from director of events to director of experience, yeah. because experience is super important to us 
across all parts of our business, but particularly at a conference. Yeah. And now I have, it's, in some days it feels like a luxury to focus on experience, but it's really so essential because it's people far. make their decisions, are they coming back? Yeah. And they, the word of mouth is driven by the experience that they've had. Yeah. So if we get that wrong, then we'll be out of business in a year or two as far as the conference goes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Joe Pine, who's on the back of the book and is a good friend who created, um, was actually the headmaster of Little Gathering and have uh, 11 past 11 today here. I found out there's a lot of people that went to the College of Extraordinary Experiences that are now here in Las Vegas. Huh. Um, and having been part of that for a number of years and Joe Pine was the headmaster, he says, the design of time is really about how do you quantify it, right? So time can be well saved or it can be well spent or mm, it mm, can be mm. wasted, right? Yes. It is worst case. Um, and the ultimate goal for experience design is to have time well invested, right? So you have got these gradients of how you spend your time. Mm. So with the inability to stop it, making it time well invested, I think is what we're aiming for when we're talking mm. about experiences, right? Um, well said. How How well is your time invested coming to IMAX America here in 2023 in Las Vegas? Yeah, it's a really good question. I came because I was given the opportunity to speak a couple times, mm -hmm. and I've wanted to come for quite a while, and I came for inspiration, number one, for serendipitous relationships. This conversation we're having right now is serendipity. You yeah. saw me this morning, yeah. and 30 minutes later, we're doing this recording. Exactly. Um, I was not... I did not come here expecting to be on anyone's show. Yep. Other than the two times I'm on stage, I had no expectations. I just mm -hmm. came open. Yep. And you know, you put yourself in the environment. That's part of serendipity. If yep. I wasn't here and just available, you got to show up. Right. You have to show up and you have to be open. Yeah. And I, you know, when you found me, I was like, okay, what do I do next? Because yep. I was literally sitting there thinking that I'm not sure who I should talk to, what I should do, and then all of a sudden, boom. Here you come. The conversation so, happens. Yeah, and I think that happens so often. Yeah. But you have to make that choice to show up. And, and you have to manage your energy. Yeah. You know, so like last night I went to bed early because I knew I needed to have energy for the day. And if I stayed out late, I wouldn't be ready for the day. Your brain so. would be fuzzy and you would have a different thing. This afternoon at four o'clock, we have the book presentation. Uh, Tahira right. and Dean. Uh, one of our certified event designers, you know, um, her and her uh, colleagues at IMAX use our methodology to design Smart Monday. What's interesting this afternoon, we have the book uh, presentation or the book club, I think it's called. Book club, yeah. The book club, uh, new initiative. So I'm looking forward to seeing you there at four o'clock. Yes. Uh, our Likewise. colleague Paul Wilkins will be there as well. He's doing a speech at three o'clock. Um, and that's where we meet all the people. David Adler, who was just here, wrote a book called Harnessing Serendipity, was just on the podcast before you. Some of these, these people just flock to the same place at some reason, for some reason, and then we get to meet. I know. What a treat. David was on a show that I did a few weeks ago with the launch of my book, but I've never met him in person. Yeah. So I look forward, I didn't even recognize him sitting here with you because I didn't know what he looks like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, that is so fascinating when, you're, when you have the ability to literally use that serendipity. You know, so I always pretend that we can make some kind of a schedule for this podcast, but it's the most ridiculous thing you can imagine. It's trying to stick to a schedule except for your speaking slots and the mandatory sh places where you have to show up. And I, <clears throat> because I have, um, I've got tinnitus because I was, you know, in many studios and musician rooms, I was in big bands playing the trumpet with lots of noise and big philharmonic orchestras. So my ears really have trouble with all this 
persistent noise here in Las mm. Vegas, especially yeah. at a trade show. Oh, yeah. This is my safe little audio bubble. It's <laughs> a great way to make it. We're bubble in the bubble, right? You we can, can still hear focus, it, right? Yeah, but hear it in the background. It's just background, yes. But together we can have a proper conversation that is goes way beyond what we would be talking about. Because now we have it here on this little gem in front of us. Yeah. It will be published tomorrow morning because thanks to time zones, our colleagues in Europe are producing this overnight and then tomorrow it will hit the airwaves. Hmm. And so it's actually information that permeates out of this space of you know, 12,000, 14, we will say many people are here. Um, and we'll have a shelf life. Well, you said something important because I have the same issue with all the background noise. It's hard to go into a deep conversation yeah. for very long. This exactly. does make it possible. Yeah. Um, we're doing it with intention. Obviously, you had some questions, but we've deviated from some of them and gone where conversations go, right? Exactly. And that's what good conversations do. So I love that you've created this. We left part of, we left part of it to chance. There is one favor I'm going to ask you. Sure. And so, Phil, I want to ask you, um, I'd like to invite you what we call the year plus one. I okay. just did the year plus one with Ryan Hill uh, two episodes ago today. He was here last year, and we talked about his horizon of change. Um, I'd like to ask you the same question. I'd like to invite you next year, around the same time frame, if you happen to be here, and we happen to be here, and if not, we can do that remotely, uh, to have a similar conversation okay. um, in which we reflect on time past. Okay. One year has passed. What has changed in our lives? Mm. Uh, how has your horizon of change evolved? And uh, just looking back sometimes as a marker in time makes for a great artifact to not stop time, but to be conscious of its passing. Yeah, I love that. I'm 100% I'm in, and I can imagine a, a bunch of things that you and I are going to talk about because I'd forgotten our commonality with music. Yes. And I think event musicology is what I'm speaking about here at IMAX tomorrow. Awesome. And as far as I know, that's not actually a discipline or a field. I know it's not a certification. I don't think you can get degrees in it, <laughs> but I think it's something that I'm really fascinated to dig into and yeah. get others to think about, because I think events need to be intentional about how we incorporate music. Absolutely. And I think it can be one of, it's not the focus, but it can definitely undergird or it can undermine. Yes. We were just talking event. about with David uh, Adler that, you know, uh, back at this World Culture Festival, we had a very goosebump moment when mm. the meditation with 450,000 people, we accompanied that with 18 Alphorns. And for the better part of four minutes, the only thing I could hear back is nothingness on the National Mall with 450,000 people. It was absolutely quiet. Wow. And I think I heard good goosebumps popping. Yeah on everybody's skin. What was interesting, because I was one of the 18 players, we could not really be in the meditation, but I almost feel like playing an alphorn or playing a musical instrument when you get in the flow with other musicians. You know, research proves that your heartbeats go in sync, your breathing goes in sync, somehow something happens to the group of people. Yeah. And what's interesting is that that, that collective goosebump moment is probably the, the most epic form of human nature I can imagine to happen. And music is a very important conduit across languages and cultures. Yeah. Because there were 18, 180 uh, performers from 180 different countries, 18,000 performers and 450,000 people. And music transcends all of those, you know, differences. Yeah. And creates a common harmonic. There's a, a word for that, and I'm blanking it right now. It's something like entreatment. Okay. Um, 
but it describes that synchronicity that happens where we all start with disparate rhythms and you know concepts of time and tone and all that but with time when done well we all get on the same page yeah. and that's the most profound example I've ever heard it I've seen it happen magic. other places but yeah. that's that is really really cool you can see it back on YouTube um, will it do the same thing on YouTube I doubt it no it might do it to me because I was there because you I were there the you remember it yeah but I think this is where digital and analog meets right yeah it's all a set of vibrations music is the most basic form podcast is too right? yeah People are just receiving the airwaves in their ears and have to imagine why all of this noise is in the background. Right. We are here. If you bother to show up, you can have these serendipitous moments. For that, I want to thank you, Phil. Yes. And uh, look forward to our next conversation. Sounds great. Thank, thank you, you very so much. much. A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversation.